Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we are going to explore the search for UFOs. My guest is Carolyn Corey, who is executive producer and founder of Omnium Media. She is the author of The Visible and Invisible Worlds of God and The Divine Plan, which is now in its fourth edition. She's also made a number of documentaries, including E.T. Contact, They Are Here, I Am the Universe, I Am Love, Among Us, Superhuman, The Visible Made Visible, about which we've done a previous interview, and most recently, A Tear in the Sky. Nobody's ever done this as far as I know. It's a huge amount of work, a huge amount of data and equipment that has never been done. Whatever this is, is more complex than we could ever imagine. This is a first in the field of ufology. The variety of devices we're bringing as a team to study the phenomenon covered an entire spectrum of different technologies in real time. That moment shook me to the core because I knew my life was about to change again. I think we're going to have like a couple of really, really good spots. When I hear that you've assembled a team of top scientists using state-of-the-art equipment, I say to myself, it's about time. This is an unidentified, unclassified new phenomenon. Wow, Tic Tacs. Basic. Maybe tic-tac. Maybe. Caught on our cameras. Yep. That's incredible. We can go from body heat to very cold, like about minus 62 Celsius or minus 80 Fahrenheit. Wow. We will be transmitting data up to 800 terahertz in frequency. Our highest technology is up around 500 gigahertz. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to seeing what you've uncovered. triangulating and converging at two points, the same object. It's fading. It's gone. It's gone. It's, it's, gone. Gone. it's friggin' gone. That's up to Catalina. We need you up here. We could be heading towards the biggest see I told you so in history. That's what we need, the smoking gun that'll clinch it, that once and for all will settle the debate. No ifs, ands, or buts. And in the process, rewrite all of human history. Is this the wormhole? It's insane. Carolyn is in California, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Carolyn. It's a pleasure to be with you after two years. I'm very happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you, Jeffrey. This is awesome. 
Well, you've been quite busy, and I think the first thing that we can say about your new video, A Tear in the Sky, is that it's an innovative approach. You've done something that, to my knowledge, uh, and I might be wrong, but to my knowledge, it hasn't been done before to set up essentially three different teams of people to try and get a, a triangulation, a fix on a uh, unidentified aerial object or phenomena. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you've seen in my previous films, I always want to do something that no one's done before. <laughs> That's kind of my signature. It, it, the same thing with the UFOs, you know, you see so much material out there. But to me, I'm focusing on the solution. So we know there's a problem. We know there's, you know, people hiding secrecy. But what can I do to kind of add to the story. And I thought the best way is to do a scientific approach. And uh, like you said, no one's done anything like this before. So we went all out. We uh, hired this team with scientists and Navy personnel and uh, with a crazy amount of instruments, as you saw. And uh, in order to achieve scientific results, you have to think of correlations, you have to think of triangulation, you have to think of over a period of time, and that's exactly what we did. Well, I'm very interested in going over the details, but I think it would be so useful for our viewers, before we get into that, to talk a little bit more about your background, because as I understand it, also from your books and films, you, you have a deep personal background in both extrasensory experiences, spiritual experiences, and a strong familiar, familiarity with the concept of alien contact. Yes, absolutely. Well, it started for me when I was very young. I was five years old and I had a spontaneous interaction with beings. They just kind of showed up and uh, it was we started communicating telepathically. It was just an exchange of thought. And of course, I'm five years old. Uh, I didn't question it. I thought, oh, well, everybody does that. There's nothing special about me or about this especially that it felt very familiar. It felt very good. It was very loving and sweet. So, so I kind of kept it to myself and, but I kept thinking, how did this happen? How did this happen? What did my brain have to do to retrieve information that nobody was like speaking in my ear or other people could not see what I was seeing? So because of this questioning, I uh, decided to, I mean, I got into the field of consciousness, uh, the mechanics of consciousness. But of course, and when I got to school, uh, I thought academically I should do something along the same line. So I went into psychology uh, with a minor in philosophy, <laughs> you know, but especially you know, as you well know, uh, you're a psychologist yourself. Psychology is the mechanism of the mind. And so, but honestly, these experiences were so beyond, beyond any sort of explanation. And I kept having these experiences. So I would know of something before it happened. 
I would see things on the other side of the wall. I would, you know, I would kind of know the root cause of someone's illness, even though they never said anything to me. So, so how does that work? And so that, uh, so I kept kind of digging into this whole subject of consciousness and I ended up developing methodologies for healing, for consciousness expansion, because the biggest thing I think that people struggle with, um, is the discernment is the guidance. Like, how do you know for sure that you didn't make this up? You don't have instruments, you know, that are measuring your brains or whatever you're seeing. And so because of that, it takes a long time to really master this discernment and the guidance and, and how it all works. So 20 years later, <laughs> uh, you know, working with hundreds of people around the world, uh, having extraterrestrial con, all sorts of contact experiences myself and with others and doing uh, regression therapy with so many people, I mean, this stuff is real. <laughs> I mean, we're getting validation, we're getting proof. And so, so then I thought, you know, we need to start bringing this to the mainstream. And that's how I got into the film. I started making films about all of these subjects, trying to do uh, live on camera demonstrations and scientific experiments to bring that validation uh, more to, to the world. Uh, because I was 100% convinced, and there's so many, as you know, around the world that know this is a real phenomenon. Well, I have seen on your website uh, a whole series of seminars and workshops. So I, I'm under the impression you started out as an experiencer. You got, I, I think, a master's degree in psychology and counseling. Uh, you began offering seminars and workshops and then moved into um, documentaries and books. Yes, exactly. And so, so when I started to understand what my brain was doing, what my consciousness was doing to manifest something, to be able to see something, to remote view, to bend spoons or whatever, or telekinesis, then I started to, you know, create these methodology, you know, classes and books as well. And I started teaching. Um, so all the workshops now, all the classes, I have about 600 classes and sessions on my website. Um, and uh, it was very beneficial because it attracted a lot of people. Um, and then I started teaching them to be able to teach others. So that was very helpful as well to see that methodology being demonstrated and validated over and over. So I'm very happy about that. And then, like I said, the average person would be like, yes, but how do I know it's real? And da, da, da. So that's the reason why I said the only way is films, films, make a film. And so I had done, I had been in also in drama school and have done some film work before, but not professionally. And then I got into it. I was like, I'm going to focus on that field and just bring the two worlds together. Well, you have succeeded in doing that, and uh, it's very rare, to my knowledge, for an individual to be both open psychically and also capable of managing a production company and producing films. I, I 
offhand can't say I know of anyone else who combines these talents the way you do. And so, so now, given this important background, you decided to pull together uh, some of the most advanced people you could find to see if you could actually search out UFO phenomena and record them. As you were saying, my previous films were on contact and on mind over matter for those who have not seen Superhuman. I mean, I love this film. It just did so well, by the way, you know, just to tell you how well the fact that it was so well received, like how much people are hungry, you know, for this sort of information. So that did very well. And then I was actually thinking of uh, doing the sequel of that. And all of a sudden I had this inspiration, vision, guidance, you know, uh, no, 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 do a UFO film. And I was like, okay, I've had my own sightings for a long time as well, but I, I, I wasn't thinking about it, but because it just came, you know, out of the blue, I said, I'm just going to follow my guidance and do it. And I, I, Jeffrey, it was crazy because I had the idea in December by March I had the whole team uh, pre-production, you know, usually it takes years to plan something. By March, I had the whole thing, the location, the team, the cast, the experts, everything locked in. And, and so I thought, I'm just going for it. And at the time, we didn't even have the full funding. I was funding it out of my own savings because I so believed in it uh, because the approach was so different. I said, I'm not going to go out and just do another UFO film. My signature is to bring that science, the validation, more proof, more real things. And so I was very convinced this, this was going to be an important film. I just went for it. And by July, we were filming and now it's out. So it's, it's, you know, I'm just so blessed that, uh, it just happened. But, you know, you're saying having the two worlds, I think I've always been like that. I've always been an experiencer, like having those things happen. And then it would kind of manifest into whatever book or, or production or anything, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, try to express who I really am. And it's easier. I think that's the, that's the problem why people suffer is that, you know, daytime they have a job that they hate and at night they are who they are. And it's like balancing the two, merging the two. So I'm very blessed with that. I'm going to link to our previous discussion from two years ago uh, for people who have uh, desktop, laptop computers uh, in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. We'll take you to that video if you'd like to see it. Because in that video, you did something quite unique as well. You demonstrated psychokinesis uh, working with a researcher right on camera. Exactly. And that's, again, that's what I like to do. Like, I want to make it real. So when we say we, I mean, everybody tells us mind consciousness affects our body, affects the stress level. You know, you can heal by just focusing on positive thoughts. Yes, yes, yes. But tell me how, like, show me, you know? So that's exactly what we did in the previous films. You know, it's like we kind of went in the film from doing it close in close proximity to doing it 
remotely, being able to affect a physical object remotely. So to me, that was a breakthrough, I think, Jeffrey, because, you know, I mean, it's this, this, this really tells us that our consciousness, um, is connected to everything, you know? Uh, so um, the fact that science hasn't caught up with all of this doesn't mean it's not real, you know? It just means that, and that's what I'm hoping to accomplish with my movies. In this film, A Tear in the Sky, you went to a group of people who were experiencers themselves, in fact, rather famous experiencers, who were part of the observations of what is now called the Tic Tac UFOs reported by the Navy. It's been all over at this point, the New York Times. Last summer, while you were filming, the government actually released its report on unidentified aerial phenomena in which they publicly acknowledge for the first time that these things are real. Exactly. So what happened was I was going to put a team together from scratch. I was going to invite some experiencers and then scientists and put the team together. And I stumbled on these guys, the Navy guys, the very people who are witnesses, direct witnesses of those Tic Tac videos um, in 2004, they were on the USS Princeton. And so we started talking and they said, oh, we have a scientist on our team. And so we've been wanting to do an expedition. And it was kind of like, oh, perfect. <laughs> so we had this team put together and we went out and, um, and it was great because I was able to also tie in the real life, like the, the human story, um, with the work that we were doing, which is the scientific approach. And of course, the idea was if they saw it on their ship in Catalina, and then later, uh, other Navy ships also uh, saw similar tic-tac-like objects in the same area, uh, then it kind of made sense, you know, even from a storyline point of view, to try to go back to that area and see if we could capture anything in, in uh, real time. And as you know, we did. <laughs> so you, you set up, I guess, essentially three different crews, all located 20, 30 miles apart from each other uh, to, to form a triangle over the area that you suspected might produce phenomena. So we had one team, the main team, uh, on Laguna Beach. So on, you know, on, on this side of the, um, um, the shoreline. And then we had another team in Catalina Island. And then we had a mobile kind of a satellite uh, vehicle who would go and position themselves wherever we needed them at the time. Because triangulation, even two points work as triangulation, but some, it was good to have uh, the option of having a third point as well. And so we could achieve different types of triangulation. Sometimes it's two points close to each other within a mile. Sometimes it's within five miles. And sometimes it was, you know, much further uh, away for those who, you know, kind of are into this concept. So that, that gave us a lot of flexibility flexibility. But from a production standpoint, oh my God, it was so complicated. We literally had, um, I don't know, about 10 cameras going on at the same time because the team, there were many people, um, you know, at, at each location. So you had to cover the cast. 
you have to you had to cover the action of whatever was happening and capture whatever we were looking at um, that multiplied by three and coordinate everything at the same time. So I was directing, uh, I was on the main uh, uh, location on, La at Laguna, on the Laguna side, uh, but you know, at, at night after each, of course we had had meetings and everything, but at night at two, three o'clock in the morning, because we were filming at night, I had to, you know, talk to the uh, to the other crews and tell them what they needed to do the next day and what happened that day. I mean, it was like a 24-7 marathon. The production was crazy. And you had basically one week to see what you could capture, which is relatively a, a short amount of time. It's very short. And so so originally they wanted to do 10 days. And, you know, I was paying the bills and I said, you know what? We've never done this before. We don't know what to expect. Let's just go for five. And if, if nothing happens, we'll see if we can extend it. So so the plan was five days, but five days and five nights because the instruments can keep going, you know, for 24-7. Uh, but the filming, we chose to film at night uh, with the crew because uh, we think we capture more at night. So, um, so yeah, uh, what are the odds, you know, <laughs> that in five days we would capture anything? So, you know, this is where, where my other skill came in handy. I was like, what am I doing? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I better kind of like really it was very exciting. Like I said, things were flowing. But as we were moving forward in the production, I really had to sit and talk to my guys and say, OK, this is a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, investment and effort and energy. Give me something, <laughs> you know, like something that we would capture on camera. And I knew it was going to be July 14th. And so, so we scheduled the filming the week, uh, that week. So I think from the 12th to the 16th and sure enough, uh, on the 14th was the first sighting, which was not bad, but then it got better and better and better until we ended up capturing a crazy amount of, uh, num uh hours of data across all kinds of devices. We're talking the regular cameras, the night vision, the FLIR cameras. The FLIRs, for those who know, I mean, it's a whole new different range of infrared. Uh, so we had eight of those to cover the entire sky. Each one is like $50,000. And so, so, so it was a, a huge amount of equipment uh, recording the data 24 seven. And so, and at the same time we were seeing things, there were more things being recorded. Does that make sense? So, uh, so finally, uh, at the end of the five days, I was somewhat happy. I was like, okay, this is not so bad. We captured, especially the one that looked like a Tic Tac. That was pretty insane. Uh, but then of course, as we continue looking through the data, we find this incredible thing at the end of the movie. I don't know if we should <laughs> spoil the surprise, but I was more than happy with what we've done. I mean, we literally captured something that no one can figure out. I mean, we're talking about scientists, you know, we're talking about NASA, we're talking about 
those types of people looking at the sky 24-7 with very sophisticated equipment telling us we don't know what that is. So that's interesting, right? You had, amongst other pieces of equipment, radiation detectors. Yes. Yes. Radiation. So we had uh, registering uh, radiation from two different uh, devices based on two different technologies. So when these two correlate, that's even more validation. And so, so what was fascinating is we would get those radiation spikes exactly correlating with a specific sighting. And so, and we're not talking about, so usually it's, I think radiation on earth is around two MeV, sometimes it goes up to eight, but the, the spikes that we were registering was 32, 42 MeV. I mean, that's pretty insane. You know, I mean, it's, that's a lot of radiation. And so to correlate with uh, exactly an anomaly <laughs> so it's it's it starts to, to be fascinating. Now we are collecting real data in this phenomenon. And think about this: we were there five days. The amount of data that we've collected, uh, the stuff that's in the film, people will see. There's quite a bit in the film, especially the last one, uh, which we should talk about a little bit as a teaser, but. That amount of data that we collected as civilians with our equipment, even though most of the equipment was military grade, but in five days we collected so much. Think about what the government must have, you know, with the satellites and the radars and everything else. I think if anything, we demonstrated in those five days that they must have stuff, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's impossible not to, if we were able to do it in such a short time. I imagine it's going to take a, a long time for the scientists and researchers involved to process all, all of that data, although your documentary has come out and it's fascinating. I want to encourage our viewers to watch it. Uh, I, I am under the impression that in the whatever scientific literature is available in this field, and I know it's limited, nothing has yet, to my knowledge, been published. Nothing. I mean, this this uh, this film and this is going to be historic because no one's ever published a paper. So this is a first. This is this a big deal, and so they're still going through uh, all the hundreds of hours of data, and uh, they will be, you know, making presentation, giving more details, and then eventually, this paper is going to be published. So I'm super excited, like we're literally making history with this. So, you know, uh, that's, that's the reason why I'm very, very um, excited about this. Of course, the LAX airport is right there on the coastline as well. And as I recall from your video, you had people tracking all the conventional air traffic going on in the area so that when you did sight other anomalous objects in the sky, you could rule out any kind of conventional Earth-based aircraft. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, that was a, you know, common sense. We had all sorts of devices that was tracking everything, you know, from uh, an airplane, a typical airplane to a bird to, you know, satellites to bugs, you know. So the software in uh, some of the equipment we had was already kind of set up to quickly say, you know, dismiss, 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 because you know the the it would recognize uh, the uh, anything that was flying that would have a prosaic uh, explanation. So so that we definitely plus I mean we had that software and this technology, but also uh, you know the scientists going through the footage themselves manually could also. Um, you know, rule out any simple explanation like that. So yeah, and that so that's the reason why uh, the the things that we ended up showing in the film uh, has been looked at over and over. Okay, this thing is going against the wind and it's going sideways. You tell me what propulsion system does that? It's not a balloon. It's not you see, and um, and also some things that were behaving very strangely were falling, literally raining down. And of course, the, the finale, <laughs> you know, this, this uh, thing that it was after the fact, again, we, as we were looking through the data, we're like, wait a minute, what was that? Wait, wait. <laughs> so it was literally an opening and closing uh, with, you know, physical objects and, uh, you know, in it. So, so that's the big mystery right now. Uh, what have we discovered? What did we, you know, tap into? What did we record and measure uh, that does not match uh, anything that NASA knows or whatever equipment, uh, you know, the tracking the skies does not match any solar flare, does not match any radiation coming, cosmic radiation, does not match anything that would explain it. So what is it? You know, and it's all in the film, measured, recorded, shown, you know, and also we have control, the before, when it happens, and the after. Well, the title of your documentary, A Tear in the Sky, is very suggestive of, of what you observed. To me, it suggests the idea of a portal, the something that would enable vehicles or objects from another dimension to enter our three-dimensional space. Well, exactly. But guess what? I called the movie A Tear in the Sky two years ago. I, I started out I was thinking, what am I going to call this movie? I had no idea what we were doing. And, you know, of course, a part of me must have known. <laughs> and I'm always fascinated with... Uh, the fabric of space-time. You know, again, I'm, I like to know how things work, you know. So if I see something, you know, when we were looking at UFOs or something happened, I want to know not just the technology. That's one thing. I want to know what universal law, you know, what in the, the, space, the fabric of our reality itself, what, what did it do to allow that? That's what I'm interested in. And so I always uh, feel and sense that uh, the energy field around the planet, it, the magnetic field and the energy field is, is geometric. It, ha it's, it's, it has patterns, just like our physical body has, you know, a geometric uh, shape. Our energy field is also geometric, it, uh, it, you know, it matches certain points and meridians and 
things like that. So it's a little bit the same for the planet. So I always think and I feel that that must be the truth. And those points, if you will, there are points within this geometry, like the vertex points of these geometric patterns must be nodes. It's where the, the magnetic field kind of condenses in such a way to allow some sort of um, anomaly, I mean, anomaly from our perspective, but actually would allow uh, a vehicle to enter or exit, for example, wormhole-like, black hole-like, of course, miniature black hole-like within our space. I'm convinced of that. In fact, I did a lot of research on that and I've found other uh, people who looked into it as well. And so I want to prove that. <laughs> because I think that explains so much, not just UFOs. It explains all sorts of, you know, um, telepathic contact because those nodes are in resonance, are resonant. They're resonant. And so I think this is how space travel is happening and so on and so forth. And so that's the reason why when I was going to make the film, I said, it's not just about the UFOs. It's, it's about the universal laws. Like what would make something like this happen? It's got to be those nodes. So I called it, node doesn't sound very nice for a movie. So it's a, a tear. It's like a tear in the sky. And sure enough, two years later, when we're editing, we're like, so I had to film myself say a tear in the sky when actually I knew it was done two years ago. So that's that's kind of fun. I would think, Carolyn, the, the fact that you've had this telepathic contact with, I think you would describe them as alien or extraterrestrial beings since your young childhood had some role in the evolution of this documentary. Oh, 100%. I don't know if they're extraterrestrial in the sense of, because they weren't material at all. Like they didn't have a physical body or, I mean, a material form uh, or even a form. It was more like light. It was a very vague kind of form. Um, and so, but it was more consciousness. It was kind of a group of consciousness. So, and they also, one of the things that happened to me when I was five is not only that it showed me that I could see and sense the subtle energy, that's what was happening. I could literally see them, hear them, sense them, and see how they were transferring energy into, into my brain in, as language, telepathic language. So, But one of the things they said was, uh, we're going to be with you the rest of your life. But it also, and, and I'm not the only one, everybody has their own lineage. See, that's the thing I understood, that I was on this side of the veil in physical form, and they were kind of my continuation, if you will. Like, they were the same stream of consciousness on the other side. That's why it was so familiar. They were familiar. And so, and, and so that connection is never severed with that lineage. And so what happened was, uh, they said, you know, all you have to do is become conscious. That's why they wanted me to remember that experience, to be conscious of what's happening to you right now and ask, you have to ask 
So, you know, I'm five years old. It's like, how do you ask? What do you, can I ask? I really, you know, basically they were showing me how my brain was focused at the time to allow this communication. They said, remember this. And so I'm, I'm concentrating on, I want this, I want this, please stay with me the rest of my life. And boom, I know that that was the purpose of that experience. And it's been guiding me all along throughout my life. Well, I know that there are groups here and there who are involved in what is sometimes called human-initiated contact. People, people who go out into the wilderness, typically, and uh, try to invoke lights in the sky and m maybe even things beyond that. I did a 10-year research project with such an individual who, who produced a UFO that was seen by hundreds of people, uh, videotaped and photographed. And as he predicted, the photograph was published in the front page of one of the local newspapers back in 1976. So in most of these cases that I'm aware of, like yourself, people have had a, an ongoing sense of communication with beings that are typically not described as extraterrestrials, but maybe extra-dimensional. Definitely extra-dimensional and, de yeah, definitely not, um, yeah, not, I want to say local. They're not <laughs> material mm -hmm. at all. And it's not, so it's not the typical ETs that you hear about. So, uh, yeah, so and, and I feel that, uh, that another purpose of me having that experience is to talk about it eventually. Of course, I never wanted to talk about it forever. Uh, even though I, when I started teaching, I never talked about my experience. It was later that I understood that, wait, that's part of, you know, under, you know, it's okay to tell that you know, the world that that's what's been happening because that's the truth and people can take it or leave it. And I realize now more and more that everyone is connected to their lineage. That's why you hear people talking about uh, they communicate with Pleiadians or Arcturians or something, but why aren't they all talking to the same people? You know, I'm not talking to, I mean, I could talk to Pleiadians, but that's, you know, and I realized that I talk to my people and, you, you know, and it's not my people versus your people. It's more of a lineage. It's like, where you came from, you see, like that lineage. And that's also uh, the purpose of why we are here in human form, is to allow this this seamless communication to remain active, to remain open, so that as we come in in this physical form and we speak and we write and we express ourselves, we are expressing not just our physical aspect, but our entire universal lineage, our entire universal consciousness that's coming through us. And so the people, when we talk about awakening, so that awakening is just literally to 
reopen these doorways and remember that larger lineage that you are supposed to be bringing through. So, so that's why I said, I have to be talking about this because everybody has a universal divine, magnificent lineage. And so and the idea is for you to discover your lineage. What is your original essence that you're supposed to be bringing through? That is part of our real purpose. That's a very interesting exposition. And of course, it suggests when you use the term lineage, it could mean many different things. And when we talk about other dimensional beings, they could be fairies or demigods or angels or so many different cultural descriptions of these beings uh, ranging from you know, reptilians and mantids and Nordics. Do you have a, a sense of anything more descriptive of this particular lineage you're working with? Yes, of course, I wrote books about it, but it's it's universal. And it, it, I mean, I just call it source, to be honest, because it felt as I was following it, it felt like it was going all the way to a multiverse, like not not local. It wasn't stopping at Sirius B or something. It kind of kept going and going. And it, it felt like a center of it, like a big central universe, the hub of that universe. And so so that's that's what this lineage comes from. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, um, as you remember, as you open up to that particular lineage, uh, you start to integrate it into what you do every day. And so, so the more conscious you become of it. And so as you express yourself, you know, writing a book or making a film or teaching or speaking or just being a podcast host, or it doesn't matter you are mixing like you are because everything is energy. And so it's not speaking from the human DNA, but with both the DNAs, if you will, mixed together uh, through your work. And so you are then contributing, you're adding to the collective consciousness, you see. So it's kind of like you know, if you take a trip, okay, I'm going to go to China, okay, to visit China. So I'm an American citizen or, you know, I have, I have French background, doesn't matter, but I'm bringing my uh, frequency, you know, my uh, being and going to China. So as I am in China visiting, I'm kind of implant, I'm kind of pouring my energy into that collective awareness and they are doing the same to me. So then when I come back home, I've also imported some of their, uh, you know, frequency and lineage. You see, it's all energetic and gets all mixed up. And so that's the reason why uh, we are here to to bring that universal awareness through what I, we do to to contribute to the planetary, the human evolution, is the way I look at it. Well, it's beautifully put. Uh, it seems as if you're suggesting we, we live in a pluralistic universe. There are many, many different kinds of consciousnesses in this universe, but ultimately they all lead to, uh, I like the word you use, source. Yes, it's exactly that. And that's the reason why the more you become aware of your original lineage and source, the more you literally you feel, you experience 
experience on a cellular level that it's all one, that everyone comes from the same place. Everyone is connect, is, is made from the same fabric that consciousness is fundamental. It's from consciousness that all the different life forms emerge. And so, so we share this basic fundamental substance that is consciousness and it's on a multi-universal uh, level. And, uh, and it, so when we talk about oneness and it's not just this kind of thing out there, like a concept, it's a real, uh, it's a real thing, you know, that is uh, science still needs to catch up on that. <laughs> Well, I agree wholeheartedly, Carolyn, with everything that you've said. Uh, I think it's beautifully put. I think it's wonderful that you're able to combine your own inner intuitive awareness with such practical work in, in the world. So uh, I want to thank you once again for uh, being with me, and I hope we have many more conversations in the future. Absolutely. I, I, this was a pleasure. It's always good to see you. I love your work. I'm a big fan. And so you too, good luck with everything. And thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us.